The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is just a friendly reminder to make sure that you are registered to vote for the upcoming elections in November. Make sure to text the word VOTER to 26797 right now to check your registration and to receive your polling location and reminders for all local, state, and federal elections in the future. Thank you. Hi, this is Deborah Messing. I'm an actress and social justice advocate. I am Andana Dayani, creator and co-founder of the nonpartisan movement, I Am a Voter. So Mandana and I are best friends and we're constantly sending each other inspiring stories of people who completely blow our minds. And then one day we realized something. Most of them had no intention of becoming heroes. They just knew they had to do something and did it. So we decided to do what we do best completely geek out on endless hours of research to create our list of the 20 dissenters who blew us away. Based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's iconic I dissent slogan, a dissenter is someone who stood up to an injustice or challenged the status quo, someone who fought to build a better way. Each episode, we will meet one of these incredible accidental activists and learn all about their journeys and how each one of us can make a huge difference. This week, we speak with actress, writer, and activist, Jamila Jamel. Jamila is the founder of the Iway Movement, as well as the host of the Iway Podcast, and has effectively fought for the ban on promotion of toxic diet products to minors on social media platforms, and is working on creating global legislative reforms. Jamila is one of the most refreshingly honest, articulate, and dedicated activists we've met. Her commitment to creating what she calls radically inclusive spaces, her vision for brick-by-brick activism, and her courage in calling out our culture of shaming makes her a true dissenter to both of us. And now, it is our greatest honor to introduce you to the brilliant dissenter, the one and only Jamila Jamil, the shame assassin. Hello, Jamila. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so ecstatic that you are here. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Um, Mandana and I are both just geeky, geeky, geeky fans of yours. Oh, that's very sweet and very surreal. Because Researching you is probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. Have you ever seen the word <laughs> dick written so many times? <laughs> <laughs> it was just so fun. And oh, also thanks. refreshing. Yeah. You know, like you... You give zero shits. Like yeah, you yeah, are yeah. just like I'm going to say what I feel, and mm. I really don't care about no. the fallout at my, all. Yeah, my store of fucks is empty, and I have none left to give. I'm still a mess, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's so surreal. So when I was 17, um, cue violins. I uh, I hit. Got, well, I was hit by a car into another car, broke my back, and I um, didn't have anyone to talk to for about a year and a half. And so all I would do is watch NBC. TV shows all day and all night, 24 hours a day. So you were in my living room with me, like all day, every day for about a year and a half. It's so insane to sit opposite you now and have you even know who I am. Oh my It's God. the weirdest full circle ever. And how insane is it that you ended up, your very first acting job was on an NBC, NBC TV yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I yeah. used to sit there with my broken back, laughing away at all of your jokes. Oh, and so, gosh. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm so... <laughs> I'm so glad. I yeah. mean, um, it's awful that you were you were bedbound for oh, that long. Fine. I was on morphine. It was actually a really great year. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> <laughs> it was the time of my life. <laughs> 
okay. All right. You know, good things came out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can always find the silver lining. I think you're the most um, multi-hyphenated person I know. Yeah, it's ADHD. I mean, you know, DJ, presenter, journalist, photographer, model, fashion talent, scout. Oh, God, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, Star of huge primetime TV show, advocate, activist, uh, legislator. I mean, it's... Bloody hell. You really have done your research. And you're pretty... (laughs) And I also worked at a video shop, which is where I really thrived uh, as a professional. But uh, you left that out. It's slightly offensive. You're like, bloody hell. (laughs) I'm awesome. No. Uh, I just can't believe you've read into me. Yes, um, we're not we're not fucking around here. No, I see that. Yes, <laughs> I like this okay. this Bible yes. going on here. Look, look at the questions. Okay, so dive in. I mean, so you know, obviously, think what this podcast is about. But both of us have been activists, and you know, we always meet these people that act like what we're doing is so unique, and we're like, no, no, you can do it too. You just have mm-hmm. to say something. Um, and so, what we really wanted to do was bring forward these voices that are just doing incredible things and things that they weren't necessarily trained in. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we'd love to just hear about like what led you to your activism. God, it was a lot. Um, So I, uh, I guess I probably started when I was about 19. It's about 14, 15 years ago. I, uh, I was a teen model and I was starved uh, by agents and by family members and encouraged to starve by girls at school because heroin chic was all the rage. That was the non-ironic fashion term used. Uh, <laughs> so you should emulate uh, heroin addiction and actual famine. Um, I think we remember that. We yes. all remember that. Right, yeah, zero craze. Uh, Absolutely. And so I was told by a modeling agent to live on one red pepper a day that I would cut up into lots of little pieces. And I'm five foot ten. And so that's not humanly Uh, possible to sustain that. So my period stopped for three years. I didn't eat a meal for like three or four years. I was obsessive. I weighed myself several times throughout every single day uh, and just lost my entire teens to an eating disorder. And I uh, got hit by the car, broke my back, gained about 75 pounds, uh, regained use of my body, which I was so lucky for at the end of that because I I was told I might not ever walk again. And um, after that really changed the way that I looked at my body and realized how much I'd taken it for granted, how much I'd actively tried to hurt and destroy it. And just thought, I have to change something here. I have to stop taking this body for granted. And so it uh, sort of jolted me into having some self-respect and trying to address my eating disorder and what the cause of it was. And so I started writing letters to newspapers and news outlets. And within about six months, I was on primetime news telling all the secrets of the modeling industry and saying how we need to change, we need bigger sizes, that there's a shift that needs to come. And so I guess 19 was when I started. It wasn't until I was 26 that I became like very aggressive because it's very hard when you're 19 and you're brown and you're a woman to be listened to. We don't listen to marginalized people. We blame them for their circumstance. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was when I became a TV host and I was famous in the UK and I landed this huge job where I was the first female host in the history of 60 years on air to land the biggest show on the network that people started to, um, at that same time, I'd gained some weight on medication and all my ratings were amazing. I'd doubled my viewing figures and all that anyone cared about in the news was that I doubled my dress size. So no one reported any of my success or the fact that I'd made history. All people would report is the fact that I'd gotten fatter. And then paparazzi camped outside my house for like four to six months. And there were photographs of my ass and my thighs on the front cover of every magazine, always next to very thin pictures of me. And what made me really upset about that is that the narrative they would paint with the photographs, they would always... So when a woman is larger, they only photograph you when you're unaware. 
Yes. And they only photograph you when you look sad or when you're just like resting your face. You're not like making any kind of smiley gesture. When you're thin, they will stop, wait for you to compose yourself, wait for you to pose and wait for you to smile. And that fits the narrative of the media, which is that thin women are happy and fat women are sad and lonely. They would only ever photograph me on my own and sad looking when I was fat. And yet when I was thin, I was still crippled by my eating disorder and very miserable and obsessive and lonely and had no sex drive. When I was fat, I was actually really happy having loads of sex, uh, having a great time. They were some of the happiest, it was one of the happier years. My career was at the height of its success, but the narrative being painted about me was so false that I was so pissed that I decided just to fight back in a very big way, like went to the government, spoke in front of parliament, uh, started writing letters for legislation. And so that was about eight years ago, I think, that I became very, very aggressive, released plus size clothing lines and refused to go to a gym or do any weight loss endorsement deals. Okay. That was when I doubled down. Okay. How did you go to parliament? Just letter. Well, I was privileged by this point. You see, if you're famous, oh, then suddenly I see. people listen to you. It's like Angelina Jolie talks about Pakistan. Like People have been saying these things in Pakistan for years. But Angelina Jolie, uh, a white famous person who's mm. thin, will say it and the world cares. We only listen to the privileged. Mm. And it's such a gross part of society. And it's grim to be one of those people who now takes up space in that area. But they don't listen to you if you're marginalized and they don't listen to you if you're privileged, then who is anyone going to listen to? So the privileged have a duty mm-hmm. to speak up and speak out because we're the only ones who will be heard. So I guess that's why people, my work got further. But it's been always the same work ever since I was 19. People think I only started two years ago because I became, I was on a hit show two years ago. They right. think I'm Tahani in real life and that my <laughs> activism is just fake and for show and it's a trend. I've been in this shit for years. How did you know that you could fight it? Like, I think people just accept, like, this is just what it is. Like, everyone I knew who worked in fashion was like, this is so fucked, but it's just kind of how it is. And you just decided, well, well fuck it, I'm going to yeah. fight back. I don't think you, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. That's the risk of it. Like, you don't, I didn't know if I could fight it. I just knew that I had to try. I knew that I was so mentally ill for 20 years of my life, so anxious, so depressed. I still have such bad body dysmorphia. I was just, I'm driven by the idea that, if I can at least recycle all of this bullshit into something, then it won't have been for nothing. And that I can maybe save another generation of girls from going through what I went through and what my peers went through. Because it's hell and it robs you of your existence, of your happiness, of your joy. You lose everything to this, to obsessing over your exterior. And it's just inappropriate. How can we ever be an equal gender when we're given this much extra homework to do? Boom. I know. I read a statistic you, I think you had shared at one point, which is that nearly 30 million people of all ages and genders suffer from an eating disorder mm-hmm. in the U.S., which is crazy. 24,000 teenagers a year get hospitalized taking those diet and detox products. 24,000. That's insane. This is what this industry is doing. It's a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry that thrives on our unhappiness. And every time, um, it's, it's almost like every decade, the goalposts get you know moved higher and higher for what you're supposed to achieve. You know, back in the 90s, it was you were supposed to be skeletally thin. Now you're supposed to be skeletally thin, but with tits and an ass, right? Yeah, right. And a thin face that never ages, right. which is just not possible. Coco yeah. Chanel said, when you hit 30, you have to choose between your ass and your face. Because a, a plumper face will look younger for longer. Yes. Yeah. But now everyone's full of this, this shit that we all put into our faces that is so dangerous. And I've no judgment around like surgery. I have my tits removed, not removed, reduced. They're still there somewhat. Um, I have my tits reduced. It's one of the best things I ever did. Like, I, you know, I'm fine with you doing whatever you want. But if you look at Botox, right, the skull is the most porous bone in the body. So when you put Botox into your face, it's going right through those pores in your, the holes in your skull 
right through to your brain. We're just doing this to women and we're making women do it to themselves. And it's to distract us so that we can, we have all this extra homework to do. How we'll never be equal as long as we have all of this extra shit to think about and to worry about. It's a deliberate tactic to keep us down. Can you talk about what is a double agent for the patriarchy? So a double agent for the patriarchy is a, I guess it's a phrase I coined to describe someone who perhaps unknowingly even is doing the work of the patriarchy, but it is a woman. So you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. You look like us and you sound like us, so therefore we think you're on our side, but you are actually spouting the rhetoric of the patriarchy and encouraging it. So you are continuing our oppression. You are advocating for our oppression even though you're supposed to be on our side. I remember it was like a, a while ago, a couple of years, I don't remember how long it's been now, and I was driving and I get a text message from my good friend, Emmy Rossum, I think you know, uh-huh. and she was like, you have to check out this account. And I opened it and it was Ai Wei. Mm-hmm. And it was like day two, I think. And it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And so I did the whole thing where you write all the mm-hmm. different ways that you measure yourself and I posted it and she had it. And then all of a sudden within like a day, I looked at the account and there were hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. And the next day there were thousands of them. And it was one of the most authentic and just cool movements Mm. I had ever experienced happen so quickly. And I I just love to hear like how that came about for you. I was on Instagram. Uh, NBC made me join Instagram Mm -hmm. for promotion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I reluctantly joined it. And I I clicked on that little explore magnifying glass. Terrible mistake. Don't ever do that. It's like the Wild West for your (laughs) self-esteem. And there was a picture of the Kardashians and numbers written across all their bodies. And I was like, oh, I wonder what those numbers are. I wonder if it's how much money they have. And of course, I was curious. Because we'd all like to know. And I clicked on it and it was their weight. It was the weight of six really successful businesswomen. And because of the algorithms of Instagram, uh, once I clicked on that, suddenly loads of similar pictures started coming up. So Selena Gomez, how much she weighs. Taylor Swift, how much she weighs. How much Julia Roberts weighs. Oh my Aniston. God. And it's, a, it's this craze on the internet of writing down the weight of celebrities, of female celebrities only. You cannot find a picture of a man unless he's a UFC wrestler with his weight written across his body. We don't care. You would never take a group of businessmen and write their weight across their bodies. Never. It doesn't. It would never happen. We don't know what men weigh. We fundamentally don't care as a At society. All. We just care about what they contribute to the world. We teach men to grow up and be so successful so they can marry the Victoria's Secret model. We teach women mm-hmm. just to try to be the Victoria's Secret model. It's just, it's a scam. And in that moment, you so, said... Yeah, so in that moment, I was like, right, this is bollocks. I, I'm going to say what I weigh. I weigh my financial contributions to my own life. I, I, I weigh my financial independence, my contributions to society, my relationships, my friends, the good sex that I have, the eating disorder I, over, I overcome, um, the uh, abuse I've overcome. All, I weigh the sum of all my motherfucking parts. Mm. Sorry about my language. Not from <laughs> English. Please. Um, but uh, I posted that out into the world with zero expectation. I had a very small following on social media. And suddenly, within days, I had like, maybe within three days, I had 10,000 posts from women around the world posting theirs back to me. So I just started the Instagram account as just somewhere to put all of these beautiful posts. And I thought it would fizzle out. And here I am two years later. Next month becomes two years since I started it. And we're about to hit our first million on Instagram. And it's just growing and growing. We're all over the world. Australia, India, Japan, all over the news. It's hit people because the world is tired of being constantly underestimated, undermined, and diminished. God, that's so magnificent. I know. I remember you, like one of your quotes was, you know, no one ever talks about how much Rosa Parks and Malala weigh. And I'm like, no, you're yeah. so, it's so. It's Florence Nightingale. No one cares. It's so, <laughs> it, that just, it's just, it's just so lucid. It's like, oh, 
Of course. I know the way you speak of it, it's just, it's so obvious. And I, I just... Well, that's just it. It's, it is obvious. It's all intuitive. But if they keep us distracted and hazed with enough abuse, then we won't be able to listen to our instincts and our intuition and to, to recognize sense. It, it's ridiculous what we're put up with. All these photoshopped images, the fact that it's legal to photoshop anti-aging cream adverts and you're yes. allowed to wear fake lashes in mascara adverts. Like the amount of lies that's fraud. That we're just hazed. It's fraud. Yeah. Magazines yeah. are full of fraud. Mm-hmm. Photoshop in itself is inherently fraud. Yeah. And so, and airbrushing and all that sort of shit, Facetune. We're just you, in this, like, we're just soaked in fraudulent nonsense so that we'll all hate ourselves, so that we'll go out and buy things to fix what isn't actually broken. I mean, it's so, it's so complicated and so difficult because it's, it's, it's so systemic Yeah, that so many, so many women contribute to that imbalance because it's it's how we've been taught it's what yeah, we've seen our whole our lives yeah and i mean we we saw this in the last election that it was white women who were betraying the woman running for for president cuz you know yeah. they weren't comfortable with the idea of a woman being in power mm. and it's so so and they didn't like her suits like and they didn't fucking they, kidding me i know right so again it's like is it How? Dr. Evil? Everyone says she dressed like yes. Dr. Evil, which is quite funny. But yeah. who cares? <laughs> Literally, who cares? Who cares? I don't care if she's wearing a bin bag. If she knows how to run a country and isn't going to put children in cages, right. then great. Bring her in. Yeah. So how do we how do we go in and start shaking it up and, and changing? I'm also just one human being, and I can't change the whole system overnight. But the one thing I'm good at is just pointing out the obvious, yeah. which doesn't actually sound like a great skill. No, but just it helping really us, is, though. No, it is. Because once you can hear the inner bully in your head, once you can recognize it, you can't unhear that. Yeah. You are always familiar with it then. Like you can always suddenly hear like, oh, wow, I'm really shit-talking myself in the mirror today. Or, yeah. God, I'm really not boosting myself up before this interview that I'm about to do. Or I really, why do I think that I'm not worthy of love because I've got uh, big thighs or because I've got cellulite? Would I ever tell my friend or my sister or my mother that she doesn't deserve to be loved because of her cellulite? No, you would never do that. But we say it to ourselves all the time. Oh, I'm too old to be loved and blah, blah, blah. We shit talk ourselves. We stop ourselves before we even have a chance. Because it's like, shame is like a, it's oh, like it's seeded in us as children. <laughs> oh and what's fucked up is I'm listening to you and I think I'm such like an evolved human being. And I'm, and I'm like, not. God, I'm not. I do some of this shit all the time. And But we all do. We like, all do, I still of have body dysmorphia. Like yeah. I still can't look in a long length mirror without falling apart. So I just don't tend to look in full length mirrors. I just try to avoid them as much as humanly possible. Otherwise, it makes me crazy. I'm not sitting here as this perfectly evolved person who's got zero mental health problems. I'm just saying that I'm done with succumbing to it. Yeah. And I'm going to fight back. And if that means neglecting my appearance or wearing less makeup or doing whatever it is that I have to do to not interact with my appearance, then that's what I'll do. And as a result, I've become more successful. I have more money than I've ever had before. I'm better when it comes to being a friend, I'm only slightly better at sex. Uh, I'm just generally, a, a, I'm a better hang. Yeah. You know, for the fact that I'm not obsessed with myself and with my body and with calories. Were you afraid to talk back or lose endorsement deals because you said, don't sell me this fake shit about I'm shadow and mascaras? Like, I think so many people are so afraid that they're going to lose followers or be attacked mm. or did your publicists or your agents or your managers say hey you know maybe you don't want to cross that line always <laughs> no one likes being on my team 
<laughs> it's not good for anyone's health. Like everyone's very stressed right now. Um, but they do all support me inherently. And like it's they I've watched them all also unlearn some of their own teachings from this industry and back me all the way. I have a pretty much entirely female team. And everyone's on my side and rooting for me. So that's incredible. But yeah, of course, at first in particular, it was like, don't you are new in America. Yeah. What are you doing? But I've been turning down endorsement deals since I was 26. Anything that airbrushes or anything where I'm shaming you to buy a product or saying that I'm better than you for my product. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, I, I can you imagine how many weight loss endorsement deals? I talked about this recently and it went viral where... When I was slim, I used to get offered weight loss endorsement deals where weight loss companies wanted me to endorse them saying that that's why I was slim, even though I was naturally thin. And then when I got bigger, they wanted me to, to do these big multi-million dollar deals where I would take go to the beach and take deliberately humiliating and in inverted commas photographs of me with fat hanging out in a bikini that's too small, eating a burger with a double chin, eyes half open, looking sort of sloppy and messy and clumsy and, and you know, unhappy. And then they wanted to give me a secret personal trainer and put me on a full nutrition uh, nutritionist-based uh, diet and attribute my weight loss at the end that they would, these they would photograph to these pills or to this product or this weight loss video. Uh, I would be offered millions to do this, to stage this, this photograph and then do secret training. I mean, by now I'd be worth tens of millions of dollars if I'd done this, but I've never been okay with it because I've nev never really had that much of an interest in being super, super wealthy. Like I don't have that gene in me where I'm like, I need to be the best. I need to be a billionaire. I just want to be able to sleep at night. I can never, ever, ever in good faith do to others what was done to me by bad role models. And that's the thing that I can't fucking believe about all of our celebrities nowadays. Most women who are putting this shit out there, the influencers and the celebrities who they themselves clearly have an eating disorder. If you think this much about your weight and you are this obsessed with showing everyone your weight loss and how thin you are, mm -hmm. you have an eating disorder. You have body dysmorphia. To recycle that and then turn that into even more shit that you put out into the world is so shameful. I'm ashamed of so many people in my industry. Not just for, I don't think it's great when people just sit and they're silent. That's bad and you're complicit then in a system because you're not speaking out about it with the power that you have. I think that's a shame. But when you actively perpetuate it, I think you're an asshole and you should get in the nearest bin and stay there. How, <laughs> is it is it complicated for you as as an actress on a, on a primetime show that's a hit where your character is gorgeous and they want to perhaps put you in a, a body conscious dress. Mm -hmm. And you know why they want to put you in a body conscious dress, you know, because it's prime time. Yeah. And people want to see beautiful women, you know, showing off their figures. Is that difficult for you? Or are you able to compartmentalize and say, you know what, this is an art. This is my character. I'm absolutely fine with this. And, and, and in my real life, I make different choices. Yes, but also I was really lucky because I didn't have a demon show running me. I had Mike Schur who let me buy my own dresses so that I could buy things that I was comfortable in or use my own clothes. What? So a lot of Tahani stuff like was stuff that I would choose or I, they were my own things I already owned, so I felt comfortable in them. He allowed me to never have makeup on my stretch marks on my breasts 
he didn't airbrush me in any of the promo photographs and he uh and my weight would fluctuate all the time because I love catering like no one loves catering <laughs> and so I would gain I would gain anywhere between like five and eleven pounds I go up a dress size or two every single season by the end I'm the only actress on earth who gets fatter while filming oh no I, I love it I, I love it I'm not gonna stop it's free food we have a fucking 24 hour taco stand like what am I supposed to do <laughs> What am I? I'm only human. I grew up poor, so I like get very triggered by free food, and I need to eat it all. So I, uh, so they would just like leave all my costumes open at the back. So I wore everything as a bib, like, everything. <laughs> my ass is out in every single end of every single season. At the back. Well, no one ever said anything about it because I was just like, "This is I. I he's a good boss. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing." When you started, so when you came to America, no one ever said to you in the in the business, you know, it would be really great if you were a little thinner. Everyone said that. Oh, okay. not Mike Sher. Okay. And not my agent. Um, I had an agent who just said, ah, thin isn't necessarily that funny. Mm. Like when I was asking him if I would have to lose weight. And that's not true because also lots of thin people can be funny. That's not a diss against thin people. Yeah. It's just, he was just like, ah, thin isn't that funny. It's like, you just be yourself. That's fantastic. Um, which I thought was very sweet. But mostly, yeah, of course I got that from people. And I would be asked in like very insidious ways to keep an eye on my body, on my weight. And yeah. uh, Mike Sher just never did. He just didn't think it's, he just doesn't see it as a thing. He doesn't see skin color as a reason that you should be, uh, that you should not be allowed to have a part. And he doesn't see weight as a reason that you shouldn't be considered beautiful. God, and I like God that about bless him. him. God bless. We read that you ban diet and detox products and cosmetic surgery from Instagram for minors. Yeah. And that was the coolest and thing. That's and Facebook. And Facebook. So it started with a petition, but do mm-hmm. you mind sharing that story? Yeah. Well, I mean, l- listen, unfortunately, social media is where most people are consuming their news and their politics. So yeah. it's incredibly influential and it takes very a very long time to change actual legislation. So it's quicker to kind of do it on social media, to cut off the source where uh, influencers can sell to minors, unregulated. Um, And so I was able to just interrupt that process by changing the global policy for Instagram and Facebook. And so now if you're under 18, you can't see diet and detox products being sold or cosmetic surgery procedures. And if you're over 18 and they're selling you something that sounds like nonsense, like melt 20 pounds of fat in 15 days, you can report it and that will come down. So I have cut a giant hole in the income of influencers and diet and detox companies. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and so it started, you, you, it, was, it was a petition. You wanted to get 150 signatures. Yeah, I wanted 100,000 yeah, 100, signatures, but I got 250,000 in three days. And so it's, what this says isn't that I'm exceptional. It says we're all fucking tired. Yeah. I, I haven't done this on my own. No, of course. I've done all of this with the noise of the people behind me, the community, the Iway community. Without them, I wouldn't have gotten anything done. I would have just been told to fuck off. But they've stood behind me and we've all done this together as a collective. This is not my win. This is our win as a society. And so now you're working on legislation. Mm-hmm. So we have two bills that we're trying to get into the Senate in Boston because Boston often leads the way for the rest of America. Mm-hmm. So we'll go after New York next and California. And so uh, we're trying to get this stuff physically out of the out of the stores and off the internet for minors. At least, we, I wish we could protect everyone, but at least at this point, people who are still developing and still growing when you are the most likely to do harm, we can at least stop it then. So ideally, uh, diet pills and anything that has anything to do with dieting, like if you walked into a drugstore, would be locked up behind glass yeah. like cigarettes are yeah. or 
That's or condoms. Why the fuck is it easier to buy uh, to buy a diet and detox product that isn't regulated than safe sex? Yeah, it's insane. It's so ridiculous. Well, that goes back to misogyny. Yeah, that goes back to it's all misogyny. Agency. You're having your own agency, whether when it comes to your sexuality or yeah, anything else. <sighs> and so you guys are now launching a website for Iway. Yes. So it's just a little website. It's mostly a newsletter and then we're going to start making video content. It's not going to be an editorial competitor or anything like that. We're just yeah. creating, we're, we're finding activists and writers from all around the world and publishing them in our newsletters. And then you'll be able to find them if you've missed the newsletters on our website. And then we're creating YouTube content that'll launch in a month and then a podcast a month after that. And so it's really exciting that we're being able to expand what people are hungry for on our Instagram account. That's incredible. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, but it's full of petitions and other charities that we're supporting. And it's like a it's a it's an approach for brick by brick activism. Cause I think, you know, going back to your question at the beginning, a lot of people want to get involved in activism. A lot of people want to help the world, mm-hmm. but no one knows where the fuck to start because it's such a mess. It's like, well, there are children in cages and there are teenagers starving themselves and the world is on fire and there's too much plastic in the oceans. And you know, it almost feels like there's so much there's to do. So much. That there's no point even starting. And you also feel like, oh, I'm just one person. How much of a difference could I really exactly. make? Exactly. But if we look at it as brick by brick activism and Mm -hmm. each one of us contributing in our own small way, together we could make an extraordinary wave of change. And so that's all I'm doing is trying to create a way that feels easy and accessible and like you're not alone to engage in activism. I couldn't have done any of this by myself. We can all do this together and we can all learn together. I'm really fucking ignorant still. I'm not like woke Bay 2020. I, I there's so much that I still don't know, yeah. and that's okay. We have to stop expecting people to arrive fully formed. We have to create a safe space for people to come and, and learn and admit their ignorance and say they want to change. You've been very outspoken about um, the lack of representation, yeah, it, everywhere when it comes to Black, Brown, marginalized mm. people, which is a systemic problem. What kind of responsibility did you feel being one of a handful of brown women on a primetime television show. Did you did you feel any kind of responsibility or were you able to enjoy the beauty of the moment that you were you were changing the face of what primetime television is? I just enjoyed the fact that I was able to play some sort of a love interest type, you know, and I was mm-hmm. able to escape my ethnicity being my entire storyline. Yeah. And so I thought that was just very progressive and I hope that it makes space for more people. It's just, I grew up never seeing the Indian woman as a love interest or an Indian man as a love interest or a sex symbol or a superhero. It's so amazing that Kumail is now going to be a part of the Marvel universe. I never saw any of this. Yeah. Yes. And it impacts the way that we see ourselves as Asians. You know, if you never see yourself represented as, as any kind of heroic figure or protagonist, then you start to look at yourself as a, as a sort of an extra in the world. Is that what you mean by radical inclusivity? Like I, I saw yeah. that term that you used a couple of times. I thought it was really cool. Well, it's a shame that inclusivity is radical, but to include everyone, including disabled people, like we are massively lacking in disabled representation in this industry. Yeah. And we often do kind of stop at the black and brown conversation, mm-hmm. but they're a huge portion of our society and we don't show them as anything other than like the most tragic part of a love story, if they even get represented whatsoever. And an able-bodied person almost always plays them. Right. It's, it's funny, I'm listening to you talk, and I can't think of a movie or a TV show where someone Iranian didn't play a terrorist. Like, I'm oh, just exactly. thinking about yeah. me and my family, and I'm like, yeah, I literally can't think of one time I've ever seen anyone speak Farsi, and they weren't blowing something up. I know. 
And that impacts the way that we see ourselves. It impacts the way that other people see us. You know, the the cool thing about Will and Grace, which I think everyone acknowledges, is that it changed the way that a lot of Americans who had been afraid of gay people previously Mm -hmm. started to see them. It made space. And that was just a lighthearted comedy. Yeah. And that's the power of representation. Yeah. Showing gay people as not sensationalized and not all, you know, rent boys who are drug addicts and the kind of like the, um, and I love the film Basketball Diaries, but Basketball Diaries was the sort of narrative of gay people in America. And people just thought they were these just like strange, crazy perverts. (laughs) And suddenly Will and Grace showed them as just lovely, domestic, normal people who go through normal everyday Mm -hmm. things and have normal everyday complicated, nuanced, ridiculous absurdity in their lives. That made people unafraid of gay people. Yeah. And so that's the importance of showing Muslims who aren't, you know, strapped to a ticking dynamite stick <laughs> and uh, and disabled people who can be the love interest or who yeah. can be the heroine of a story. You know, I was in a wheelchair. I'm the same person I am now, but I know for a hundred percent certain fact that there's no way I would have any of the things that I have now had I still been in that wheelchair. And that sucks because I'm the same girl, same brain, same talent, same face. But being in that wheelchair wouldn't have stopped me from doing those things. It would have stopped other people from allowing me to. (sighs) And so that's just another thing that I feel. So that's the radical inclusion is making sure that we bring everyone in, like trans people. We need to, we need, Mm -hmm. we need to reflect the world that we're living in because we're being so divided by our politics and by our media outlets. They're just kind of turning us against each other. And so that's what I weigh is. I weigh is a way of making it, you know, it started as a kind of self-image movement that has turned into a mental health movement and also a community movement to make us understand people. We are here to educate you not only about yourself and your community and where you come from and represent you, but we're here to educate you about other groups so we can all come together and do this as one. It is the only shot we have is siding with one another. Well, since since I weigh is is obviously uh, intersecting with with mental health and healthcare. Yeah, are you? Um, is that a path that you're also trying to go down and t- trying to expand uh, access to mental health yeah. facilities and, yeah. and services? It's a primary concern of mine. It might be the biggest concern I have in the world is mental health. It's the thing that I care about the most. It's the thing I talk about the most. It's the thing that has most uh, dominated the narrative of my life. So yes. Why do you, why do you think in this country people are so um, resistant to acknowledging uh, mental health and and appreciating it as an illness and including it as as part of our our health umbrella? Why do you think that is? Okay, I think it's two things, and maybe I'll sound mental, but oh well. Uh, okay, I, I could, like a conspiracy theorist, but the first thing is. I think Big Pharma profit tremendously off of uh, the sales of antidepressants, antipsychotics, uh, medication for bipolar, et cetera, anti-anxiety medication, Ritalin. The second thing is the stigma that exists around mental health where we still love to blame people for their own mental health issues. We cannot look at it as the same as a throat infection or a broken leg. We look at it as you've done something wrong. You are weak. You should be shamed and shunned from our society. We still fear mentally ill people even though almost everyone I've ever met has some sort of mental illness. And it's it should just be a human condition. It should be treated like diabetes. Yes. It's it just should. something that you you treat. I don't and think you, people know what it is. Like, I don't think they've associated the term 
with something that they see all the time. I think they associate... But again, that's representation, isn't it? The only time we ever see mental health issue in the news or in film is a crazy schizophrenic murderer. That's what I'm talking about. I think that's what people think it is. Yeah, you don't see someone just sort of getting on with their day with depression or getting on with their eating disorder or getting on with their bipolar. I just realized that we've never seen on, on television is just a normal domestic day where someone in the family is like, oh, shoot, I forgot to pick up my antidepressants at the drugstore. Yeah. Instead of, oh, I forgot to pick up the milk. It's just like you never see condoms you know, in porn. You like, know what It's I mean? a big thing. Like, it's, just, it's still like this otherized crazy thing, even though so many Americans are on antidepressants. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a lack of representation. It's a lack of, of discussion, appropriate discussion. It's a lack of discussion in schools. We're still, we're ignorant. And also a lot of people profit off our ignorance. And the dumbest thing about it is the fact that if we were to have happier people, we would have a higher GDP. Yeah. We'd be yeah. worth way more. Can you explain what privilege is? Yes. Privilege is, I mean, it's a whole scale, isn't it? Privilege can sometimes be something as obvious as being thin or beautiful or rich or powerful. But privilege can also sometimes just be the absence of discrimination. Privilege can sometimes be you are a poor white person who lives in a trailer park, but you can drive to work or walk to work without being harassed by the police. You can walk into any business establishment and you will be served. That in itself is a privilege. And that's the thing that we don't seem to fucking understand, is that just the absence of discrimination can be privilege. I'm privileged. I'm less privileged than you might be privileged right. because you are white and I am brown. Right. But I am able-bodied. I have money now. I'm famous-ish. But most people think I'm Priyanka Chopra. That's fine. But, yeah. <laughs> or Riz Ahmed. Uh, but I... Um, but you know, I I have that privilege now. I wasn't privileged before. I am now, and as soon the more I, more privilege I get, the more I do with it. So I don't go to bed at night feeling guilty about my privilege because I know that I'm utilizing it for good. That's all you have to do is to offset your privilege carbon put footprint or whatever, your privilege footprint. Just like fucking do something. Get up, move, sign a petition, donate some money, speak out, educate yourself, and then educate other people who look like you about other groups, and then you're doing something. And yet you are incredibly privileged and yet you are still a brown woman. Yeah. Not born in this country. Yeah. I still have an invisible disability. I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. This is a congenital condition that gets worse as you get older, that makes every single day of my life painful and hard. That is a kind of lack of privilege, but I still can get up and walk. I can walk into any establishment. I don't have to use a ramp. Most buildings won't build a fucking ramp for disabled people. The most amazing thing in some of my campaigning around disability is that I will, and this kind of extends to like the whole conversation of privilege, is I will go to a venue and I will say, hi, why don't you have a disabled toilet here? Why don't you have a ramp for this building? Like, why is it so difficult to put railings up? And they're like, well, we just don't really have enough disabled clientele to justify the cost of the reparations. So, of course, you don't have any disabled clientele. They can't get in the fucking building. (laughs) They won't be able to piss when they come here. Why would they come here? It's the catch-22, and we're in that in every kind of area of privilege. Yes. It's the same with clothing for fat women. Make the fucking clothes. They will come out and buy them. There's a huge plus-size dollar. We were just talking to Christian Siriano yesterday. Yeah, tripled his income. Yep. By tripling his sizes. And he was like, uh, everybody has to wake up and put clothes on. In yeah. the morning, like what, what, I don't understand. Do you, I mean? Do you see that when when Nike had the plus size mannequin, the world went yeah. up in arms? It's like, well, you shouldn't be encouraging that size. It's like, what are you saying that we shouldn't encourage people who are bigger to exercise? <laughs> so, what do you want them to do? <laughs> I can't wait to celebrate you when your legislation passes. 
Oh, well, that's very kind. Thank you. And um, when your work through uh, the UN globally is successful, you are extraordinary. Oh, thanks. You're both extraordinary. Thanks for having me. I spoke a lot. Sorry. No, that's that's <laughs> you didn't what. Get a word in. <laughs> are you no, kidding? I no, like I like I've learned so much. That's what that's that's what this is about. It's like we we want to learn and we're assuming that the people who follow our podcast want to learn as well. You are an extraordinary Thank teacher. You. Thanks. Still a fucking idiot. Like still learning. But But you have a fun coach. So I have a fun coach. Yeah. <sighs> See, you know what? my best I flew my best friend across the world to teach me how to have fun again because all <laughs> I do is work. That's the best thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. <laughs> I know it's so good. You've got to like copyright that shit. Yeah, I believe in joy. And so I'm going to try and find some this year because it can't all be work. I think sometimes the hashtag boss bitch can lead to hashtag dead bitch. And that's not how I want to end up. Amen. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't handle you. Thank you so much for tuning in and please join us next week as we speak with our brilliant friend, Kate Roberts, the women's health maverick. We are Deborah Messing and Mandana Dayani and you have been listening to The Dissenters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you liked today's show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. You can go to thedissenters.com to see the full list of our 20 dissenters. We love seeing the support on social, so please tag us at the dissenters, at the real Deborah Messing, at Mandana Dayani. And please continue sending us suggestions for badass dissenters we should feature. Please tune in next Thursday to meet our next brilliant dissenter. This show is produced by me, Deborah Messing, Mandana Dayani, Erica First, and Dear Media. Our music was written by Brady Cohen and images were shot by Justin Campbell.